0: I did some fun research this past week uh, to get ready for this series, and I discovered that a lot of people have done a poll online to ask, what is your favorite day of the week? Also, what is your least favorite day of the week? So I thought it'd be fun this morning as we're talking about this Made for Monday thing. Like, what... What is your favorite day of the week? What is your least favorite day of the week? So lock that in your brain real quick. We're going to do a little straw poll right here. Let's see if you match up with the internet. Um, So real quick, I'm going to count it. We're going to say it out loud. Your favorite day of the week, what is it? One, two, three. I heard a lot of Friday. I heard a lot of Saturday. Who's Saturday? I'm just curious. Who was Friday. Wow, so a lot of you said something else or were just like, I got to talk here? I didn't know. Um, So overwhelmingly, the surveys I read online were Saturday. I thought that Friday would be like a close second, uh, but man, Saturday was it. Uh, Okay, least favorite day. Least favorite day. I think we might have an idea what it is worldwide. What is it yours? Let's all together, what's your least favorite day? One, two, three. Somebody said Tuesday? Okay, you must have something going on Tuesday. I heard a lot of Mondays, though. Overwhelmingly, the internet hates Monday. Uh Monday. Monday's become synonymous with just a bad day. Uh, do you remember Garfield, the old comic strip? He hated Monday. It was actually like a character in the comic strip that would like torment him on Monday and he wouldn't get out of bed because Monday was out there messing up the coffee maker. Why is Monday such a terrible day? In one word, if you had to guess... What do you think the word that would describe why Monday is bad is? Anybody? Work. That's it. Work. We don't like it when our weekends end. We don't like it when someone is going to tell me what to do. I had something I was working on and now i got to wait till next Friday or next Saturday or next time I have a vacation day. Some people love what they do. I happen to love what I do. But most people, man, if you look at statistics online, Not so much. Gallup did a poll a couple years ago that stated that about 66% of people don't feel engaged at their job. They're like, I can't pay attention. 66% of people. Harvard Business Review did a similar study. It said only about 24 people feel that what they do is important. That means that 76% of people surveyed feels like what they do doesn't matter. I wonder if people hate going to work. Another study I read said that this is harsh. This study surveyed like 2,000 people said 66% of people said, I hate my job. And that's a, that's a harsh one. I tend to kind of align more just talking to people with something I read on Forbes.com. Uh, this is a blog about it where they did some surveys. But basically, I like what this guy said, and I think it might resonate with most of you in here today if you're sticking with the rest of the statistics. He said most employees don't really hate their jobs that they might say they do. More often, they lack passion for their role, and so they don't care enough to innovate create or put anything more than the bare minimum into their job. So maybe that's where you are. Statistically speaking, most of the people in this room probably are. And so the question that we have is, is it possible to wake up on Monday morning and be happy? (laughs) Is it possible to find joy in what you do and leave your house with enthusiasm for your job, even if you might not feel like it matters? That's why we're in this teaching series called Made for Monday. Uh, we started it last week. It was Easter. It was an exciting day. Uh, by the way, I want to celebrate. Last week on Easter, we took up a, a love offering for um for canvas church in goldsboro it wasn't just a love offering it was like our whole offering everything that came in that day we gave away and i was able to call kevin the pastor of canvas church on monday and let him know that we had collected over four thousand dollars for their church so thank you he says thank you thank you for your generosity that was monday that was a good monday for kevin uh but last sunday was easter and we talked about the idea that we all have work to do god has created us for good works but now let's actually get into the grind like the daily thing what does it mean this series is for you if if you have a full-time job and a career, it's for you. This stories series is for you. If you are a part-time employee somewhere and you're just kind of, you know, filling the gap between paychecks, this series is for you. If you're the retired worker and maybe you're technically retired, but you still have a full-time something that you're doing all day long. I know a lot of retired people, and they work harder now than they did before they retired. This stories is this series is for you. If you're a stay-at-home parent or a, a home educator, because I can attest that is totally a full-time job. This series is for you if you're a student who is just busting your tail every week and reading books and taking tests and just trying to figure out. This series is for you if you're some combination of several of those things, like a lot of us are. Because whatever it is that you do in your life— you're nine to five, you're quote-unquote day job, there is a tendency for us to wake up on Monday morning and go, oh, I gotta do it again. And so I have one goal, one goal for this series, and it's, it's, it's very simply this. My goal is that you will rewrite the worldview that you have about work in your mind and that you would find this to be true, that you were actually made for Monday. I hope that that's something that we can discover together. So uh, if you've got a Bible today, we love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. Pull out your Bible on your phone. We've got some free paper Bibles that you can take a look at. They're at the uh, coffee bar if you want to go get one. It's no, uh, no, no shame in doing that. Walk and go get it. If you need a good, readable version of the Bible, you can keep it. Take it home with you. It's yours. We want everybody to have a good, readable version of the Bible of their own. But we're going to be starting out this morning and reading the Bible in the very, very beginning Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. This is the very first verse of the Bible my mom helped me memorize when I was in like first grade. And we're not even going to get through the whole sentence, the whole first sentence. I want to start here, Genesis 1, verse 1. Let's ask ourselves this question. How are we made for Monday? This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created. And there's more, but we stop there. In the beginning, God created. God is an artist. God is a creative type. But when it says that God created, I don't want you to picture him in his craft room with a glue gun. He's not making something to sell in his Etsy shop because he's fancy. No, like he created as his job. The very first thing we see God doing in the Bible is working. And let's talk about what job God had. Well, first of all, God was a designer, God's an engineer. God is pulling things together. Think about the structure of the human skeleton and how it's all put together and how it all works. Like God designed that, He created that, He thought it up. Think about the strength and the shape of a spider's web. He put that instinct inside the little spider brain of a spider. Think about the internal components of a seed that you plant in the ground. And inside that tiny seed are all the capacities to grow a giant tree and generations of future trees. So God's a designer, God's an engineer, God's an architect. Think about the things that are built in this world. Look at a tree. You could hardly design something more well-suited to stand up against the elements and hold other things. We build houses in trees. God designed that. God's an architect. Look at the variations of coral reef. Look at the the, the layers of our planet, the structures of rock formations. God is an architect. He's a lot of things. He's a zoologist. There's a lot of animals in the world. He's an astronomer. He's a linguist. He's a a botanist. Like, name a career. God did it first. But in the beginning, God created. He came up with all of that stuff. And that was his work. On Monday morning, he got up and he said, "Ah, What I'll do today? Ah, let's turn on the lights. Let there be light. And he made some stuff on Tuesday. On Wednesday, he gets up and he says, you know, let's make trees and plants and flowers. And they were beautiful. And every time he created something and he did his job, God's word says, and it was good. He was good at his job. You know, when God worked in the beginning, he approached his work with passion and with creativity and with purpose. But I was wondering, what if God approached his job the way that we sometimes approach our jobs. <laughs> well, if he walked up on Monday morning, and Monday morning's like 9.15, uh, I guess I should get started. Oh, dark in here. I'm writing a letter to HR. <laughs> Turn on the lights, send that off. They need to work on that. Tuesday morning, he wakes up, does some stuff. Wednesday morning, he wakes up, and he's like, plants would be nice. You know what, though? I need a personal day. <laughs> I'm just going to... Plus the people who are going to live on this planet, they're going to be jerks anyway, so they can wait another day for some trees, right? Like that—that that was that was Wednesday, and he just keeps on. G- what if when he started designing like animals, what if he just made three? He's like, let's see what we got here. Earth, uh, okay, uh, let's see. Dog, black dog. Good. That's land. Uh, water, fish, gray fish. Good. All right, we're good. Oh, sky. Uh, Bird. Squawky bird. Yeah. That's a day's work. Clocking out like, but no, God's creation is so vivid and in-depth and just so many variations and it continues to propagate with more variation because of the genetic ability that he placed inside of each one of us and inside of each creature. Just think about the beauty with which God created if you want to see God's handiwork, if you want to see, I mean, one, you can just walk outside. We live in a beautiful place. I love it. Uh, the, the trees are kind of trying to kill us right now with the pollen, but it's getting better. I'm glad, Chris, you got your surgery so you can know just how terrible it is sometimes. The, the allergies were terrible for Chris. And so I don't know. Did it get better? Awesome. Good for you. I might need to get my nose scraped. I don't know. But if you really want to see a, a visual picture of creation, I want, I want to point you to a resource. There is a great video series uh, called The Riot. And the dance, the riot, and the dance. Right now, there's two videos. They're fun sourcing for the third one. It's produced by a guy named Dr. Gordon Wilson. He's a PhD environmental science guy. He has spent his life studying uh, animals and, and and plants. He's a he's a bug specialist. That's like his thing. Um, he in the process has done all this research and he wrote a, a biology textbook called The Riot and the Dance. Um, but he's produced this video series because he wants to have a high quality, high cinematic value, high storytelling. Value nature documentary from a Christian worldview. He's also a Christian and he's also a great teacher, and so anything you can get from him, I recommend. Uh, however, I wanna point you to this. I think you that go to theriotandthedance.com. You can watch, watch both videos for free. There's also an app, lots of good things. A lot of you homeschooling right now, this would be an awesome thing to add to your science curriculum and stuff. Uh, but I just wanted to take a minute for you to see it because it's a resource you need to know about. This is uh, the trailer for the second video. The first one was like earth, so land animals, and the second one was water. So let's just take a second. Look at God's creation. One artist invented water. He invented every liquid habitat and ecosystem that has ever existed. And he fills every inch with life, with death, and perpetual renewal. I'm Gordon Wilson, and this is Riot in the Dance, Water. if you've ever taken the chance to just watch a caterpillar crawl along your finger or a spider build a web or just thought about the complexity of the human brain, like when God got up to go to work, he did work and it was good. Now I want to take a side note here real quick. I understand that not everyone at Acknowledges or accepts or even believes that uh, God created, and there's a lot. There's a lot of discussion about that, and that might be pivotal in your faith. You might have a lot of questions. I want to clarify. That's not what this lesson is about. We're not here to talk about creation or other uh, origin, you know, theories. But I do want to say this. This is a safe place to have that conversation, and so I hope that you will start that conversation. I believe there's really good scientific and logical reasons to believe that there is a God who created, um, and so. That's where we are on that. If you want to talk more about that or look for some resources, come see me, and I'd love to you know help you down that path. But the point is to look at God's work, and so we get to creation. That's done, okay? And we're going to keep moving, and and in the creation process, God gets to the pinnacle of His work. Ephesians chapter two calls this greatest creation of Him, of His. Ephesians chapter two calls it uh, His workmanship or His masterpiece, and it's mankind. So he makes this light, and he makes earth, and he makes animals and plants and birds and fish and all this stuff. And then he goes, but I got a special one saved for the end. And when we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26... Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So of the billions of creatures and ideas that God had, only one creature, only one creation gets God's loving touch and the patience to say, I'm going to create something now from my own image what does it mean to be created in the image of God it can mean a lot of things but the one thing that really jumps out to me is that being created in the image of God means that simply by existing we point to his existence it's pretty deep in much the same way if you ever seen a small kid that looks just like their parents man you are the spitting image of your mama and your daddy well yeah because they're in there, right? The genetics are there, it's there. It's, it's the proof that mom and dad exists because the kid is there. Our very existence, because we were created in the image of God, points to different parts of him, his character and the way that he deals with things. And that's why, that's why we love to do stuff. <laughs> that's why we love to create. That's why we take care of each other. These are fingerprints of God on our very character. What does God do with his favorite creation? Well, Adam takes his very first breath, and then we fast forward. If you've got your Bibles open, we're in Genesis 2:15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And this is before sin. This is still paradise. And something we need to see in this creation narrative is that, one, God loves his work. Okay, he loves it. He, 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 he handles it with gusto, like he gets out creatively and with joy. Secondly, God created us to do work. That's the first job he gave us, the first task. It wasn't a punishment. It was like, hey, I made you. Why'd you make me for this? Go do this. And then thirdly is this, and this is huge. We need to understand that work is not a punishment, Work was a gift. Work was intended to be a good thing. I want to take a second to talk about the word work and how it's used in Scripture. The word work, uh, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for work used here in Genesis 2.15, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but the word is abodah. Abodah. If you were going to spell it like it's phonetically a v o d a h, and I think you pronounce that v like a b, so Abodah, something like that. In this passage, it basically says this: that God took the man, He put them in the Garden of Eden to Abodah. That's his, that's what He's there to do. So you know how translation works: like you get a word in another language, and you're like. Huh, what's the best way to say it in my language? Like, that's how translation works. And so there's a couple different ways you could translate this word. First of all, the word work is probably the best one for this. It's well done. I'm not going to stand here and be like, they should have done it different. No, all of our English Bibles use the word work, and it's good. But the word Avodok actually 52 times elsewhere is translated in a different way. And it can actually be translated several ways. The way What it actually means is to serve. Or maybe to accomplish. And so you can see when I say, abodah, work, it's like I'm serving the garden. I'm serving the land. But 52 other times in the Old Testament, this same word is translated as worship. Interesting. I mean, think about it. Like when you're worshiping God, aren't you serving him? Aren't you accomplishing in his honor? Aren't you, in a way, working for his glory? So like that idea that work is, can also be translated worship in this sentence is like, wow, that's deep. So in a very real way, and again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Uh, I studied a lot of Greek, but Hebrew, I just stand on the shoulders of other people who wrote it down. But many people have pointed to this, that in a very real sense, as God places Adam in the garden to Avodah to work, that work is an act of service to God. That work is his worship. And suddenly, Monday takes on a whole different meaning. Like, whoa, wait a second because that's not what I get up for when the alarm clock goes off. I'm not waking up to worship. I'm waking up to pay the bills. You don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or a monk to make worship your work. In fact, it's all throughout Scripture. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 that says, "...and whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." You were made for this. You were made to wake up and to complete tasks and that satisfying feeling you get when you do a thing. You were made to work and you were made to love it. And it can be an act of service to God. But here's the reality, and this is why we're even doing this teaching series. It doesn't feel like that, does it? (laughs) Like, yeah, that's a good good word there, preacher. But my job stinks. (laughs) I hate it. I don't want to do it anymore. Many times, work doesn't feel like a gift. It feels more like a curse. That even if you love your work, it's exhausting. And if you don't love your work, I don't even want to go. It doesn't feel like a gift. It feels like a curse. Why is that? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, it's a gift. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. Do you guys remember what happens in Genesis chapter 3? That's where, that's that's like the snake and the fruit. And sin enters the world. And so as God kind of cleans up the aftermath of sin in the world, and he's starting to kind of issue, well, this is what the consequences are going to be. He addresses both Adam and Eve, who are equally guilty in the process of disobeying God. And he says, listen, there's going to be some punishment for this. There's going to be consequences. And the concept of work comes into it. Let's just read what he says. First, he talks to the woman. He talks to Eve. This is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. He says to her, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That's a whole different sermon. I'll preach that another day. Then he gets to Adam. He says, because you listened to your wife, and you ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And suddenly, this perfect world that God created and the gift of work becomes tainted by disobedience of mankind. And by the way, we're still not very good at this. We're still disobeying God and working on it. And the sin that came into the world had consequences. In fact, those consequences have been called the curse. So let's just talk about those consequences really quickly. We, we do have some things to say about what he says to Eve. To the woman, he says, uh, your childbearing will be painful. Now, I have seen natural childbirth from the front row two times. And I can tell you, it doesn't look like any fun. Uh, I don't want to do it and my wife is my hero. I mean, I, I love my wife for a lot of reasons, but from that one moment, I'm like, man, you are tougher than I am. <laughs> you are just tough as nails. So I don't think there's any argument there. Childbirthing is hard. But notice what Scripture does not say here. God does not say that children are cursed. He said that the process of giving birth will be painful, but the children are not cursed. In fact, Scripture tells us over and over again that children are a blessing. And that's... That's important because sometimes parenting might seem like a curse, but God gave us this for our good. And so even in the pronouncement of the punishment and the consequences, it's not that the children, it's not that the the offspring are the curse, it's this this kind of environment of birthing that becomes cursed. And then to Adam, God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful labor, you will toil. So like... It's not going to be easy for you to work in this world. It's going to be a curse. It's going to be hard. There's going to be hard parts. But working itself is not the curse. What is cursed is the ground. And the way I'm going to kind of pull that out for us today is it's the environment that becomes cursed. The working environment Like, I actually love working outside. I did it all day yesterday when it wasn't raining. I love working outside. But I have learned that the outside does not like to be worked on. (laughs) Like, if you wait long enough, your yard will eat your house. Okay? Just drive out into the country somewhere. Your yard will eat your house. The ground is trying to destroy your work. I can enjoy the work, but it's going to be hard. Here's the point. Just like parenting was not cursed and babies were not cursed, Cursed the, the curse was in the process of childbearing. Our work is not cursed. It's still a gift. God gives us the abilities, the opportunity to do it. It's the environment that is difficult. And even though most of us aren't working in agriculture for a living, you're like, I don't work in the ground, so I'm good. No, studies show that even if you love your job, so at best, about 60% of what you do is something that you enjoy. But there's about 40% of what you do that you don't enjoy. There's some tasks that you're like, well, I got to do it. It's a means to an end. I got I to get it done. I recently heard a story about Vanna White. You know Vanna White? You know, this is Vanna White right here. She's just, this is Vanna. Okay, Vanna, Vanna is famous for wearing fancy dresses and walking back and forth and touching a TV screen. Vanna, uh, she has been on TV for over 30 years, Vanna. And she's got it good. Can I tell you what? Vanna White, Do you know what she makes for, for her living? You know what she gets paid? She makes $40 million a year. <laughs> Vanna. Now, in a recent interview she gave, she said she loves her job. She likes Pat. She likes the crew. She digs it. She's got a pretty good job, Vanna White. Do you know that Vanna White also holds a unique record? The Guinness World Books says that Vanna White holds a record for the person who has clapped the most. In over 30 years, she averages 606 claps per episode. And that's just on screen. She's clapped approximately 3,700,021. So 721,446 times. And that's just what the number I looked up on the internet. I'm happy for Vanna, but man, all that clapping. I bet she claps in her sleep. Okay, here's the deal. She's got a cushy job. She's got it good. It's a silly story. It's ridiculous. But this just goes to show you, no matter how simple and cushy your job is, there's going to be a portion of it that you don't like. Here's the deal. Because of sin, every work environment is going to have a piece that you don't like. It's the impact of sin in our world. But for you, it doesn't have to feel like a curse. So as we wrap things up today, I just have two big ideas I want you to jot down, think about, marinate on, and take with you to work on Monday, okay? You were made for Monday. So here's the first idea. For most of us, it's not your job that you need to change. It's your attitude. Don't change your job Change your attitude. If you find that you've jumped from job to job to job to job to job, granted there are some jobs you might need to leave because they're toxic, but it might be that you're looking for something that doesn't exist. Don't change your job, change your attitude. Philippians chapter two, verse 14 is this huge teaching about our attitude and near the end of that section in verse 14, Philippians 2, 14 says, do everything without complaining or grumbling. Sorry, grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, like once we can become content in this world, then you will be able to shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Like, don't miss this. It might be you that changes the environment at your work. The people that you work with might very well need you and you're like, I hate this place, I hate the job, the thing I do feels meaningless and that God has you perfectly positioned to make a huge difference in somebody else's life. Christians, we can change the environments we work in. It's been proven time and time again. Now, many people feel like their job is too meaningless. Like, yeah, I can't change a job, I'm not the boss. It's the boss's fault that the place is terrible. The management, the ownership, I get it. I've been in those places. It's not easy. I'm not standing here saying it's easy. But here's the one thing I do want to put in front of you, and this is kind of the, the, the second big idea. The God working through you does not depend on what job you work at. Um, hold that thought. Have you already put it up there? Hold the thought it doesn't depend on what you look where you work and what your position is your job is not too small to make a difference okay you know how i know that when you look through scripture and you look through some of the names that made most of the difference the most difference in the whole world names like abraham and isaac and jacob come up you know what they did for a living they were shepherds they stood in fields and watched feet, sheep eat grass like that's what they did for a living you are going to tell me That God can't use a meaningless job to make a difference in the world. Abraham becomes the father of our faith, the nation of Israel. Jesus comes through his family line. Joseph was a little bit down the family line there. Did you know Joseph spent a good portion of his life uh, living in a dungeon? Yeah, he was convicted for a crime that may that he didn't commit, but he was a prisoner. And God used that place to elevate him to save the entire nation of Egypt and all the people who depended on them. You get to Moses. Moses is the guy that God gives the Ten Commandments to. Do You know, he spent like a third of his life living as a, as a fugitive from Egypt, running for his life, also living as a shepherd at the same time. His job was meaningless. He was a throwaway. He was someone that someone else would just forget. You look at Esther. Esther saves her nation. If you read the story of Esther, you know how how she got her job? She won a beauty contest. That was her contribution to society, but God used that to save the nation of Israel from, uh, from their captives, the Babylonians, and from certain death. And on and on the stories go. When you get to the New Testament, you look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was just a teenage girl, As she grew up, I'm thinking if she falls into societal norms, she was basically like a stay-at-home mom who took care of the affairs of the house. In a Middle Eastern, third-world country, she raised the Son of God. (laughs) Paul wrote the majority of our New Testament. You know how he paid for that? As a leather worker, he worked on tents. Not to mention Jesus, who spent 85% of his life As a carpenter's apprentice, people feel like their jobs don't matter and that what you do is meaningless, but God will use that. This is the second idea. The second idea is this don't just go to work, be a missionary. When we first moved to Wilmington to start this church, I would very often say when I spoke at other churches and was talking to people as I met them in town, I would say this, and I still say it. I didn't move to Wilmington to be a pastor at a church. That might surprise you. It might disappoint you a little bit. I did not. I continue to say that. I'm not here to be a pastor at a church. I'm here to be a missionary to this city. That's why I'm here. And I can do that in many ways. This isn't the only thing I do with my time. Every area of my life, I do my best, and I'm not perfect at it. I fail at it all the time. This past week, I experienced a Monday woe. Let me tell you this. As a pastor, and that's my full-time job, if anyone's curious, uh, that's what I do. Um, But that 60-40 thing, 60% you love, 40% you hate, true for us too. (laughs) You know, my Monday morning moment, it's also my least favorite day of the week, is when I realize That great sermon that I just spent all that time writing and working on, guess what? I get to write another one. I've written like 500 sermons for you guys. (laughs) That's not hyperbole. I'm not complaining. It's part of my job. But on Monday morning, I wake up a lot of times going, oh my goodness, I do not want to do this. So I had this really funny, ironic moment this week when I called a buddy, a preacher friend of mine. I was like... Oh, I hate writing sermons. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do it anymore. I need some help. And he said, okay, what can I help you with? He said, what's your sermon on? I said, well, I'm preaching on how no matter what your job is, (laughs) it's worship. i got this Hebrew word I'm going to use. It's going to help us know that our job's important and that no matter what we do, we're doing it for the service of God and it's worship. And he was like, yeah, you need some help with that? I was like, I need to go pray. (laughs) Whatever it is that you do, we've got to wake up and realize that we live, like, like Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, that if we can stop grumbling and complaining all the time about what we're doing, we can shine like stars in this world, and people can see the God that we serve in our menial tasks, and those of you who have prime positions in your businesses and occupations, oh man, just think of the influence you can have on your employees in that cursed environment except the fact that there's going to be a parts of their job they don't like. But what if each one of us could wake up and say, I'm not here to make the trinket that I make. I'm not here to teach the class that I teach. I'm not here to work at the place that I work and make the money that I make. All of those are byproducts of what I do with my day job. I am here to shine like stars in this world. I'm a missionary. And I've got a job to do. That God placed me in the garden to Abodah. Serve and worship him. And that that's my work. Guys, you were made for Monday. And it's hard to remember that sometimes. So I'll be praying for you. I hope you'll pray for me. Let's do this together as we shine the light of Jesus in our workplaces and the places we go every day. Let me pray for you right now.